This is 15-Minute History, a podcast for educators, students, and history buffs featuring the minds and talents of the University of Texas at Austin. 15-Minute History is a partnership of Not Even Past and Hemispheres in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin. Welcome back. I'm your host, Christopher Rose, with the Center for Middle Eastern Studies. My guest in the studio today is James Martin, who is a doctoral student in the Department of History here at the University of Texas at Austin, where he specializes in U.S. foreign policy toward Latin America during the Nixon administration. Welcome to the studio. Well, thank you. Today we're going to be talking about Operation Intercept. Um, So why don't we just jump right in and with me asking, what was Operation Intercept? Sure. So in 1969, um, September 21st, uh, the United States launched what the newspapers dubbed the largest peacetime search and seizure operation in history. Uh, Basically, the entire um, U.S.-Mexican border was almost militarized to the point where border agents were called in, uh, military from, for example, Fort Bliss were called up to patrol the border, and The intent of the operation was to search for drugs, particularly marijuana. Where did this idea come from, that the border needed to be militarized? So um, September 16th, 1968, uh, Nixon, in one of the more um, interesting campaign speeches, kind of dubbed the Law and Order campaign speech, felt that something needed to be done. The drug problem was getting out of hand, crime was out of control, and the U.S. government wasn't doing enough about it. Uh, He called for things like doubling the uh, border security and also some kind of international effort to stem the uh, drug trade, which had, in his opinion, just grown completely out of control. So you mentioned this is a campaign promise that Nixon is making while he's preparing to be elected for president. What was this in response to? Was there a growing drug problem in the United States, or were we seeing more drugs come across the border, or was it what we've become more familiar with, the sort of powerful rhetoric of campaign promises? There there was an actual increase. Um, you, you see the charts in the archives and, you know, doubling year on year of uh, marijuana consumption among the uh, the youth. There's also kind of what historians have dubbed the the silent majority of there was this group that wasn't talking but was really concerned about their personal safety. This gets into things like the race riots and other issues that Nixon was tapping into, um, you know, in order to just seem tough. Nixon is the cold warrior of the cold warriors, but he lost to Kennedy um, in 60 on at least one example of not being tough enough on Cuba. So he just wanted to, in my opinion, perceive this tough image of protecting the American family. And of course, this is also coming on the heels of things like Woodstock and the Summer of Love, which, um, as we all know, the popular image of that is is uh, free substance abuse. And, and Sure, that that's all kind of playing in the air. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just really affecting the rhetoric, I think. So... He does this in 1969, so clearly this was actually one of the first major initiatives he took on uh, after he was elected president. So what happened? So he gets elected, and now he has to fulfill this campaign promise. There's a task force. Um, The point man of the task force is a fellow by the name of uh, John Ehrlichman, um, and also uh, Gordon Liddy. And several others. If those names sound familiar to uh, anybody out there, they were later implicated in the Watergate scandal. Right. Um, so these were uh, these are characters, to say the least. And um, it was a mix of different departments. So you had the Justice Department, the Department of Defense, 
the uh, Treasury Department. They were all in on the planning table. Uh, the only person who was really missing, and they only had an advisory role, was the State Department. So as you can imagine, when you're planning an operation without the State Department, the diplomatic wing of the U.S. government involved, uh, it tends to focus on domestic issues and not so much on the international context. And of course, since this is a border campaign to stem marijuana from coming in from Mexico, that's a noticeable oversight. Right. So everything in the recommendations that eventually turn into Operation Intercept focused on security issues and even even minor issues. So one of the recommendations, for example, was to increase the size of the parking lots on the border so people would walk across on some of the border towns instead of taking their cars because it was easier to search them. Interesting. And there were also um, increased radar sites to uh, catch uh, planes that were coming in and uh, even... As far as I know, I could be wrong, this is also one of the first um, situations where they brought in dogs. They were uh, training dogs to uh, sniff out drugs, something that's common today. So how did this operation proceed? How did it go? So it begins, the planning process is, is going throughout. And then, in theory, what's supposed to happen is in early September, um, President Nixon went down to Mexico to um, dedicate a dam. It was... Uh, it was called the uh, the Friendship Dam, La Amistad. And he had a conversation with the president of Mexico, um, Diaz Ordaz, and they talked about various things. And, and the drug um, issue came up very briefly. But in theory, he was supposed to give the president of Mexico a heads up of what was supposed to happen. That didn't quite work out. It fell on the ambassador to Mexico, a guy by the name of Robert McBride, to tell the Mexicans what was about to happen about 24 hours before it launched, and they were taken by surprise. They understood that drugs were an issue, and they had done some things in their country. They had burned uh, marijuana fields, and they had arrested several of the local drug uh, pushers. But in this particular case, they weren't doing enough in the eyes of the U.S. So they were asked to do more, and it just it took them by surprise. So the, the actual operation just like a lot of things in, in government leaked. Um, it was supposed to kick off on September 16th, which would have made things even worse because that was, that's the day after the Mexican Independence Day. Right. But due to the leaks, they actually pushed it off until the 21st. And that's when everything kicked off. Um, so what does that look like? There are long lines at the border crossings. It could take up to six hours to cross because what used to be a a random search process where they would check the 10th vehicle or every other, it became a 100% search. Um, and so so that slowed things down. And that caused problems on both sides of the border. On the Mexican side of the border, you had workers who were crossing the border legally to work, um, and they were being late to work and being fired because they couldn't get there. On the U.S. side, you had um, just issues with commerce, so, um, for example, the Laredo Chamber of Commerce complained quite a bit about the operation because they were not informed and they were not asked their opinion and they were upset because it was influencing American business profits. So as the, as the operation goes on, um, you know, things get a little worse. So at the beginning, Mexico is just trying to figure out what's happening. So things are quiet. They're sending their feelers out because they're not quite sure what's going on. But as the operation goes on, um, they become more and more upset. So there's one example is um, the uh, Mexico's consul general in El Paso 
was searched in his opinion very rudely crossing and that just and that caused a a diplomatic incident you have somebody with diplomatic immunity who's being treated the same if not worse than somebody else right um so you mentioned that there was an economic impact so mexico had started to organize a boycott so a boycott of of the u.s of the of u.s uh, trade goods so it was called operation dignity was what it was dubbed. No, no hidden meaning there. No, not none, none at all. And it it was just starting to uh, to push into effect. It never really got off the ground, uh, mostly because the operation ended early. Um, operation ended on October tenth with a deal between the U.S. and Mexico called Operation Cooperate. You see the theme here, right? Um, and so that ended the troubles. To get to that point, you kind of have some interesting diplomatic wranglings going on behind the scenes. Um, as I mentioned before, the State Department wasn't involved at the beginning, and now they're trying to clean up the mess. And there's these high-level meetings going on in New York City. Uh, Mexico's foreign minister, um, Antonio Carrillo Flores, had been the foreign minister for a long time, over 11 years. And he would mention in retrospect that this was the worst moment of his 11 years in U.S.-Mexican relations. Um, it, it hit a really low point because they saw it as an affront on their sovereignty because they weren't consulted and it affected them too. It wasn't just on the U.S. side. Were there actual operations by U.S. forces into Mexico or was it really just about the sort of sudden unexpected blockade? It was, it was the, the sudden unexpected blockade. The same reason the the uh, Chamber of Commerce and the businesses on the U.S. side were upset. It just affected the the status quo of good relations. So he's an experienced diplomat, and he, in kind of a preview of um, of other foreign incidents in the uh, Nixon regime, he wrote a letter directly to President Nixon, um, violating all all kinds of diplomatic protocols because, in theory, everything would go through the State Department. Well, just by chance, that letter, since it went to the White House, was read by uh, Henry Kissinger, the National Security Advisor, who was a very influential voice in foreign policy. He kind of had his pulse. He wasn't involved in the planning, but he kind of had had his pulse on what was going on and wasn't very impressed with the planning and the thought process behind it. So he brought to this letter to the president saying, the Mexicans are very upset and the fact that the, that they sent this letter at all shows you that they're upset. And so we should probably do something to stop it. The same day that he read the letter and sent a response back, he uh, he sent a note um, to the uh, representative, uh, John Ehrlichman, on uh, Operation Intercept, saying, I think we've made our point, and we should probably tone down, uh, tone down the rhetoric and tone down what's going on. So the operation, basically from beginning to end, was about three weeks. It was about three weeks. So a little less than the month that they expected. And the reaction in the United States was mixed. Um, in the White House, the mail they received was about 60-40. 60% in favor, 40% against. In the press, you had also the same mix. So you had uh, key Republicans, such as the governor of California, Ronald Reagan, uh, coming out in support of the operation, saying, we have to do something. You know, it may not have been perfect, but we had to do something. Um, and then you have you have other folks um, like there was one professor, for example, who brought up the fact that by sealing the border, all you did was increase the flow of heroin from Turkey, um, showing just how complex the issue was. And 
how the planning process just didn't take all these factors into account. So what was the the long-term fallout from Operation Intercept? I mean, you mentioned that the the Mexican foreign minister referred to this as the lowest point in his 11-year career. From a practical standpoint, it would seem that a a three-week operation wouldn't really have a huge impact on the flow of drugs coming across the border. So was it more about demonstrating strength, or was there an intended long-term effect? The intended long-term effect was... um, One of the operatives in his memoirs, uh, Gordon Liddy, called it an old-fashioned extortion um, scheme. Interesting. The intent was to make the operation so painful in Mexico that they increased their their fight against it, and they would accept. And the United States, after this, offered more aid, uh, such as helicopters and money to um, find marijuana fields and, uh, and burn them and stop it at the source. Uh, So that was the intent, and it worked somewhat. Um, At least temporarily, the flow of marijuana did slow down. The price went up about 50 to 100%, depending on where you were in the country. Um, But it was only a minimal effect. As we we discussed, if you stop the flow, it just comes from somewhere else. Right. If you don't focus on the demand side. And the Nixon administration realized this. Um, going forward in meetings uh, talking about the drug issue, the focus was much less on foreign interdiction and much more on uh, treatment programs and domestic programs. And the budget was set accordingly going forward. I think they realized that you can't just seal off the United States and stop the flow of drugs. You have to focus on the internal uh, demand side of the equation too. Long term, it takes I think about a year for things to stabilize. Um, in every meeting between U.S. officials and Mexico, uh, the issue was brought up. Again, about six months later, uh, Diaz Ordaz met with uh, met with uh, McBride, and he mentioned that you know he was put in a really tough jam by not being informed about this. If he would have been informed, maybe he could have done something and prepared the public, but. Since he wasn't informed, half the public thought he was in collusion with the United States, and half the public thought he was just simply incompetent and, you know, unfit to lead. So the domestic situations for him were, were quite rough. It didn't matter because he was in the last year of, of, of his presidency, and in Mexico, you, you only have one term of six years. So it, it didn't matter to him in the long run, but it mattered to his party it did have consequences. So as you as you move forward, um, the United States offered a carrot um, to kind of tide things over. Um, the, for the first step was a letter that Nixon wrote in November, phrased very, very, very warmly, um, expressing his regrets for the friction that Operation Intercept caused. Um, as a diplomatic um, talk continued on, the carrot the United States ended up offering was uh, a settlement of a border dispute that had been simmering for a little while, um, close to uh, Presidio. So the, the issue... Is Presidio is in West Texas. Mm-hmm. Right. So the the issue was, as the border changed, because of the course of the river changing, there was um, disputes over about 750 acres. And the U.S. thought that they had a better claim, but they offered up the majority of it to Mexico kind of as, as a goodwill gesture. Um and that seemed to be enough because 
you know, a, a little while later, President Diaz Ordaz on his farewell tour went up to um, California, was seen with Nixon, and you know, in all the pictures, he's smiling and waving to the crowds. So it was a temporary issue, um, but kind of the lack of planning and the lack of foresight of the international consequences led it to be a bigger issue than it should have been with no long-term effects. Well, this has been a very interesting conversation. We're, we're out of time, but I'd like to thank you for joining us in the studio, and uh, we'll see you next time. For a transcript of this episode, alignments to the Texas and National Standards for Social Studies, and links to more information on this topic, visit our website at 15minutehistory.org. That's 15minutehistory.org. And for even more, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. The University of Texas is a free speech campus. Opinions and viewpoints expressed in this or any episode of 15-Minute History do not reflect the official position of the University of Texas or of any of its constituent colleges or departments. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.